0: The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. So today is the day twenty years ago that News Talk first came on air, and obviously in, in the two decades since there, there has been significant change across the media spectrum in Ireland, across the political spectrum in Ireland, significant cultural change, and we're joined by uh, Leo Radger to look back at that period and at the changes that have happened over the, the last uh, two decades. And it seemed appropriate that the best way to welcome him was to go and find his first appearance on News Talk. And as far as we can make out, this is it, when he was back in young Finnegale pushing hard for a yes vote in the Lisbon referendum appearing on Lunchtime with Damien Kybert
1: this is the situation and we always have people complaining that there's no debate about Europe. Um, I remember in the last referendum, the No Campaigners in particular argued that the referendum was rushed, which was true. And they argued that there wasn't enough debate about Europe, which was true. But now, every time we present the opportunity to have a debate about Europe, they insist on talking about cutbacks and PJ Mara and the government and God knows what, but never the actual treaty. Leo, are you going to win the the referendum? I hope so. I'm not not going to declare arrogantly that we're just definitely going to get it passed, but I, I
0: do feel... You're still confident?
1: I do feel, yeah, I do feel that, that the more people I meet, I, I mean, more people who voted uh, no last time and are voting yes this time than the other way around. So I, I'm confident, but I, I'm quite certain, though, no matter what we do um, in Fine Gael or in any other party or in the Alliance for Europe or Ireland for any of these organisations, I'm quite certain that, that Bertie Hearn can destroy the referendum all on his own.
0: If yeah, they're, 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 they're recruiting sergeants of the Note, and his campaign are coming from surprising quarters. But anyway, best of luck to you, Leo Varadkar of Young Fine Gael. That was the Tony de Lea Varadkar back then when he was uh, in young Fine Tony, good morning. Good morning. I, I'm kind of
1: wondering if we should uh, legislate for this right to be forgotten, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to get the Bertie O'Hern in, Dick. I can't believe that's me, but it does sound like me.
0: <laughs> well, I mentioned uh, the, that thing of the political change, the social change and, and the media change over that time. If we go back to 2002 and we if we can just look at the politics of it uh, first. Back in O2 at this point, so April... Fine Gael was on the cusp of what is potentially its worst electoral result in its history, all of the upheaval that went with it, the existential crisis of would the party survive. And there were certain universal truths in Irish politics. Fianna Fáil was the biggest party. Um, The split was the Civil War split rather than right-left. And Fine Gael was on its uppers. Amazing how things change, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I I think the main way they've changed is politics has just become uh, a lot more volatile um, and traditional loyalties uh, that would have been there, people voting for the same party as their parents or their grandparents. That's just not not what it used to be. Um, And uh, that's not unique to Ireland. Um, I think Britain and America are strange because their electoral system freezes out other parties. Um, It's very hard for things to change. And what's really happened in, in Britain and America is the Conservative Party became the Brexit Party and the Republican Party has become the Trump Party. But what you see in Ireland, which I think is similar to a a lot of the rest of Europe uh, and the rest of the world, is a lot more fragmentation. And And what do you think was the driving force for that? That, That's a good question. You know, we're we're looking at elections in France that are coming up um, quite soon and it looks like the runoff is going to be between Macron, who's from the Renew Party, which didn't exist 20 years ago, and Le Pen from the Front National, which nobody would have thought would be in the runoff 20 years ago. Um, and uh, the two major traditional parties, the, the kind of Gaulist Party and the party socialist, barely have 15% between them. You see something similar in um in in Italy, in, in Netherlands. Um to a lesser extent than maybe in other countries like Germany, where the two big parties are used to get 98% of the vote between them um, or not far off that. And now you've got greens and liberals and AFD and so on. So I I think, I think about like everything in life, there's more radio stations to listen to more TV channels to watch more different types of um, different products to buy in the shop. So it's just more choice and more fragmentation um, and more volatility. Um, But there are, Obviously, pros and
0: cons to that. Well, what are the pros and cons in the Irish context? Because obviously in your period from going from the Council in 03 to uh, Taoiseach and Thónis the to now, um, we've seen that shift from a position where parties that shared a broadly centre-right ideal ideology would go up against each other again and again and again to this position now where we are effectively across the right-left divide. That's a huge shift in 100 years of Irish politics. What is it a positive shift?
1: Um, well, I suppose I'd say two things. Like like in, in that 20 years, um, Fine Gael has been the largest party, which we never were before. The second party, which we had been for a long time. And the third party, which we never were before. And in the next elections, who knows, we could, on the current polls, be back to second place first or third is not impossible either so there's definitely more volatility there um, I don't think the left-right divide was ever really a particularly strong feature of Irish politics uh, and I actually don't think it even is now you know what you have I would say with Sinn Féin is is more populism than than left in a genuine sense Um, and what you have with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil is more of the centre, I think, than being centre right or, 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 or right wing. We never really had a right wing party in Ireland. We had a kind of liberal right party in the um, uh, in the PDS for a period of time. But um, um, so it's 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 different, and I, I think perhaps in Ireland we actually led, led the way in that regard, uh, in not having a left right and divide left right divide and having a diversity of different types of parties that you can vote for, ranging from you know greens to populists to uh, centrists to
0: centre left. You mentioned that the change in the in the landscape in terms of media. If if we go back to two thousand and two when News Talk came on air, at that point, it was pre Facebook, it was pre Twitter, pre Instagram, it was even pre MySpace. The, the sudden upsurge in in blogs like Huffington Post and all the rest of it, none of that had happened. So from a political standpoint, when you were trying to carve out positions on the council, when you were trying to carve out your uh, first election as a TD, there was essentially one major national broadcaster in town, and then there was the smattering of newspapers. How has it changed for a politician and for politics with the the now huge expansion of media outlets and new media outlets?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest change is it's much more immediate. Um, so I remember talking about this with one of my colleagues the other day and, you know, the way news used to kind of work is something might happen and it would be in the papers the next day. If it was sort of a bad news story, you'd be hoping, hoping that it wasn't on the front front page. Um, um, and then it, even if it was, you'd be listening to what's in the papers. And if it didn't get mentioned, well, that kind of story was probably gonna die. Um, but that's totally changed now because, uh, you know, stories good and bad can be amplified on social media, kept running on social media for much longer than, than they would be otherwise. And I don't think the news is mediated in the way it used to be, you know, when there were, a smaller number of political correspondents in the doll writing about the news, they would have a huge amount of news and they would distill it down to, you know, five or six important stories that were broadly true. And now you have a huge amount of media, a huge number of journalists and correspondents kind of looking for a story, any story, and they will turn something that would have been Seen as a non-story or something trivial twenty years ago, into maybe a big deal because you know it's their job to find a story and and are they and still the a significant more
0: than the truth? from your perspective, or do you do you to some extent disintermediate? Do you think well, okay, the social media allows me to directly connect mm. with voters, and I don't yeah, need to list. be interpreted through a, a political correspondent.
1: I, I think the big plus that we can actually sort of bypass the traditional media if you like and talk to our voters directly through, through social media. That's definitely a big plus. Um, and I think it's also the democratised uh, media, you know, because um, essentially anyone can be a journalist and anyone can create news and uh, things get picked up and go viral and uh, become big stories. Um, the downside is, is is the lack of mediation um and the lack therefore of quality control and what you know professional journalists do and do well is they um still uh you know still things down get rid of the nonsense and then also interpret interpret the story for the reader or listener and uh, are able to give some commentary on what is actually factual and what's been but that's that, that that's not that is not as possible as it used to be so you, you know you've a lot more choice a lot more information, but much less quality control.
0: And why do you think it is that over that period, because again, if you take from O2 through to now, what we have seen in in the US and in the UK that you referenced yourself has been an extraordinary growth in polarisation. The left has gone, although American left isn't very left, but the left has gone more left, the right has gone more right, the media has split down the MSNBC Fox lines, you've got the Brexit party and then everybody else in the UK. Why have we not seen a similar shift, do you think, in Ireland, or will we?
1: yeah that's, that's a good question I, I i think there's a chance we will and i, I kind of hope we don't um you see that in britain as well you, you know we've we've certain newspapers that overtly support uh, the conservative party and you know they can do no wrong and then you see a certain number that would support labor and the conservatives can do no right that's not as obvious in their in in their um uh, in, in their kind of uh, uh, broadcast media because they have because they have a public service broadcasting mandate and so on, um, but it, it could go that way. And uh, I think you know, certainly things like GBTV and so on, or whatever it's called, things called that, um, GB are News, yeah, attempts to yeah, <laughs> attempts to, te- attempts to go, go down that route. And uh, um, I ho- hope we don't hope that doesn't happen in Ireland. But there's always um, um, there is there's always the risk of it.
0: Did you have that, any that sense? Become
1: tribal and cultural rather than you know based about based on ideas and.
0: Values. Did you have any sense that that might happen back in 2002, I mean, the, the rise, for instance, of Donald Trump, the possibility that you could end up with somebody with his, I use this term loosely, policy platform and the type of individual that he is ending up in the position that he did and creating the kind of cultural war that he did?
1: Uh, like, like, no, no is the short answer. If you said to me back in uh, 2000 that you know, you'd have a kind of Republican populist nationalist president and um and uh, britain would vote for brexit um i would have said those two things happening would be extremely unlikely um but actually if you look back uh historically um you know radical shifts in in politics um and People getting elected who you wouldn't expect to get elected um, happens more frequently than than maybe we think. You know, even if I look back on some of the policies that my party would have had, uh, you know, back in the 60s, around the time of the Just Society document, some of that now would be considered radical left, you know, like uh, on incomes policy, government deciding what prices are what um people should be paid you know really central controlled economy stuff and um you know it's the left of anything Fein would talk about these days but nobody nobody ever says that you know um or even you know in 19 in the 1980s when president mitterrand got elected as president um national wanted to nationalize the banks and bring the communists into government so, but people forget all that you know so uh, i think m- maybe there have been more radical shifts in politics in that period between forty eight and and nineteen eighty, we we kind of we kind of care to recognise.
0: If we're looking back at O two and things that you might or might not have predicted at that point, did you think you'd make it to be Taoiseach? Oh,
1: that's a really good question. Um, I think I probably didn't actually. I, I wouldn't have been thinking about that much anyway. Um, at that age, you know, I'd run for elections, local elections in ninety nine didn't didn't get in, and uh, was certainly planned to run for election again. Um and would have hoped to be in the doll and you know maybe maybe a minister someday. Um, probably might have seen myself maybe going for the European Parliament or something like that rather than rather than ending up as party leader in Taoiseach. But um, that's where that's where that's where life took me, I guess.
0: And of course, during that period, there has been significant social change because I, I think we tend to think of social change in Ireland being something that happened in the eighties and nineties. But the period since two thousand and two through to today has had the, the further continuance where we started of, of the commitment to Europe. But big significant things like the repeal of the 8th and the marriage rights referendum, they were huge steps.
1: Uh, they were. And, and I think it started before that. You know, a lot of it just started under leadership of Gareth Fitzgerald and uh, you know he, um, he tried but unfortunately couldn't um, bring about a lot of the social change that he wanted to although there were important ones you know like getting rid of the concept of uh, illegitimacy and so on uh, back in the 80s and the first attempt to, at divorce reform um, but uh, I, I think certainly in my recollection um, Ireland really starts to change around 94 and that divorce referendum the one that was successful at Cameron was, 94, it was 95 or 96 under the John Bruden's rainbow government um, and that was a very narrow like I remember that so well uh, and that was a very narrow uh, election victory um, and our, our referendum victory I think it was down to 10,000 votes the country was very divided uh, urban rural you know Dublin Limerick and Cork uh, against the rest of the country effectively and I think once that referendum was won it set us on a certain path but it, you know for, for the sake of a few votes and a few ballot boxes it could have gone the other way and I think politicians would have been much more afraid to bring about Uh, the changes that then happened happened down down the line.
0: And of course, around the same time, it was mid-90s or early 90s, I think that we had the the decriminalisation of homosexuality, which links to the marriage rights um, referendum in that period. From your own perspective, how significant has the shift been going from a position where your sexuality was something that was not publicly known to one where you were the first ever openly gay Taoiseach?
1: And I suppose back back then, when I was doing that interview, I'm not sure it was even known known to myself. <laughs> you know, that's um, <laughs> that was the the reality of the times that we lived in. Or certainly, if it was known to me, I hadn't absorbed it, or, or internalized it, or accepted it. So, um, yeah, look, the like Ireland's just become a so much, so much better place, so much more welcoming, so much more diverse, uh, so much more tolerant. Um, you know, we I I think we forget how 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 you know oppressive it was as recently as, as 2000 um you know where people had such fixed views and judgments about how men should behave and women should behave and people what people should do and how they should live their lives and uh that's um that's changed so so fundamentally um but something we certainly can't take for granted you know when we see when we see what else is happening around the world um you know western europe is is kind of uh, a beacon of progress in that regard you know we see things like um abortion rights being rolled back now in the united states for example um barth johnson having a bit of a go with trans people maybe hoping that that will curry favor in certain sections which is a bit sad and uh and you know even some of the stuff coming from you know putin in relation to the war now and coming from the russian orthodox church which you know it's, it's fairly somewhat kind of fairly homophobic quite frankly you know and uh I don't think we should take the freedoms that we've won for granted and we should remember uh, what what a imperfect as we are, what, what, a, what a beacon we are for, for liberty now in, in Europe, in, in the European Union in particular.
0: And also how that matters, uh, uh, to use the phrase on the ground, I think a lot of that, you know, the, the Panty Bliss um, speech where he, mm-hmm. she talked about the thing of checking yourself. There are fewer people who have to check themselves now than once might have 20 years ago
1: yeah that's that's absolutely the case um and you know uh, uh, it's true for gay for gay men very true for for, for you know w- women as well and you know the, the views as to how women should behave and comport themselves has very much changed and changed much for the better very much only in, the, on, in my lifetime only in the last half a generation or so and i think that's i think that's been uh been, been very liberating and you, you know certainly for even kind of, sorry, young gay people in their 20s now, it's a very different experience. They, they tend to have a group, you know, a group of mixed friends, men and women. You know, they might be the gay guy in, in the group and everyone thinks that's great. Like, it was, wasn't was like that when I was in school, you know. That's not to say that um, homophobic budding doesn't still exist in schools. It does, but it's, it's, it's not like it used to be, thankfully.
0: Because it is our 20th birthday here at the station, we are allowed to get slightly self-indulgent in a way that we wouldn't normally. So I, I figure I should ask you, do you have any particular recollections, either about the arrival of a news talk on the scene? Because Back in '02, it was significant to have another talk broadcaster, another news broadcaster to give a different view than that which emerged from Montrose or to give different output than that which emerged from Montrose. Or have you any particular recollections over the last 20 years of experiences either on the station or listening to it?
1: I oh, know it has been, it's, it's been, it's been very valuable to have um, an alternative you like to RT when it comes to, to news and current affairs, you, you know, like, like uh, there's been some really good documentary programs, you, you, you know, Patrick Egan's one on history, I think is really great. One that I, I try not to miss. Um and, uh, and, and then I think in the morning as well, having, having an alternative, I've always kind of felt the news talk programs, you know, whether it's now or, or before with Chris and Ivan, it, were a little bit more more optimistic op- optimistic and a bit more chirpy and maybe more for a younger audience which uh, i think was a good balance and you know down the years um you know a lot of good um a lot of a lot of good good people um you know providing some uh very good uh, programs like one that kind of springs to mind and i know i know the end to was controversial with, with george hook but he did bring a different form of broadcasting and uh and a different view and um I think that's that's actually important in media. And, you know, we just need to make sure that we don't allow it to become a bit too homogenised and also would have kind of forced RTE to improve its game, uh, which, which I think it has.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned the Ivan Yates thing, because, of course, that's another one of those things that back in 2002 would have been unthinkable. The notion that a former cabinet minister would end up being a leading current affairs broadcaster, it would have been anathema 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, uh, might might have been actually. Um, like definitely people would have come from politics back into media. You know, like Sean Dygren, uh who did the week in politics for a long time, was 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 a government press officer. So you would have had that. But I don't. I think it would would have been rare enough.
0: Yeah, and um, Diggy, of course, would have been like he was journalist first, spent some time as a president, yeah, but yeah, he wasn't yeah. an elected yeah. cabinet minister. Yeah, you know, nailed it, colours it, to mast
1: kind of Ted Neelan but again he was yeah, he was a journalist before he became minister before he became a journalist again so that, that is true Geraldine Kennedy so it'll be a few
0: I, that's I think, a fair point examples, yeah
1: but, but not but not not uh, maybe not to not to the same extent but I, Ivan's been great at reinventing himself on a number of occasions so
0: <laughs> yeah so what did you make of coverage recently of him now advising Fianna Fáil Sure,
1: that's that's the business he's in. So, you know, good, <laughs> good, good luck to him, you know. I was mean, speaking it, to him a couple weeks ago. It's, not, it's, it's not certainly not a bone of contention by any means.
0: Uh, I'm conscious of your time, but before I let you go, I do obviously have to ask you the, the question about the, the news today and the, the story that has been running all week, that of um, the appointment of, of Tony Houlihan and whatever about mm. the merits of him in that role. The one thing that I am seriously struggling to get my head around is how a group of senior officials looked at an appointment relating to the single most famous civil servant or public servant in the country and didn't think, hang on, lads, this better be done right or there'll be public war.
1: Well, I suppose just to echo what you said there earlier, you know, um, Tony Hill is somebody who I have immense regard for and worked with very closely in different roles and uh, we've disagreed once or twice, but um, he's been an excellent public servant, and I, I think uh, if this role goes ahead, he'll fulfil it very well. So I wouldn't like to say anything that would uh, be seen as critical of him. Um, but I do think you know transparency a- and process I- I- is important. Um, you know, I- I've learned some lessons on that myself from you know mistakes that were made in, in the not too decent, not too recent uh, past, and. Um, I, but that's I what I mean. Hoped.
0: With that memory in people's heads, how did they I suppose that's
1: the kind of point. Like, I, I, I think had it been... been now, they didn't need to because this this isn't a political matter. It's a personnel matter. There's a division of labour between government ministers on the one hand and sec gens on the other and secretary generals are responsible for personnel. We're not. Um, but I think had it been run by a minister or a politician, they would have asked... The first questions that we would have sprung to our mind would have been exactly the ones the Germans would have asked. You know, You know, was this advertised... Uh, you, you know <laughs> but all, all the kind of obvious things and uh, it it appears that didn't happen um, and I'm not sure exactly what did happen in terms of what processes were, were followed and so on um, and that's why the Taoiseach has sought the report but um, um, we're not we're not satisfied quite frankly with with how it appears it may have come about and uh, that's really why the Taoiseach has now sought that report so we can know all the facts before before we decide what to do next.
0: Thank you very much for joining us for our birthday celebrations. That is the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar.